Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. Have you ever lost someone unexpectedly? Have you had a family member or a friend hide from you the fact that they had a devastating disease that was going to take their life? How do you deal with that news? How do you remember them in a positive way? How do you move on? Find out these answers and more when we talk to an individual that lost several people in her life and most recently one of her best and closest friends. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. This is the thing about losing someone close to you. My guest today in this first episode of One More Thing Before You Go is our daughter, Caitlin Hurst-Scavera. Caitlin and her husband are both in the entertainment industry, starting here in Phoenix and then moved on to Vegas and currently in the Los Angeles area. Among other people that she's lost, she just recently lost a very close friend to cancer. We're going to talk about how she felt about hearing about it secondhand and how she manages that grief. Our family has dealt with death from various perspectives, including family members and close friends. But in this particular case, Caitlin lost a one of her best friends and closest friends here recently. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know a whole lot, but our listeners need to get to know you. Uh, well, I'm your daughter, so uh, I've known you for a while now and uh, almost 30 years now. And I live in California at the moment. And I uh, am an actor for now. That'll be another another over the teacup segment about how much LA is terrible. Yeah, we've heard a lot of horror stories about that. So we'll have to talk about that and save it for over the teacup. I'll, I'll definitely talk about that. Well, thank you for helping us to kick off the very first episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. The fear of death and loss is our biggest barrier in life. From a psychological perspective, most everyone has a fear of death, especially after a certain age or if they're fighting a devastating disease. The fear of losing someone that we love is even stronger, whether it be a spouse or a partner, a family member, a friend, a close colleague, or a pet. If you know that death is inevitable, do you accept it? Do you talk about it? Do you reach for it? Or are you afraid of it? Afraid of the unknown and what's going to happen when you or a loved one dies? How's it going to affect your family and your friends? The question remains, what kind of legacy have I left behind? Will people remember me and will I live on in some form? Is there life after death? That's where Caitlin and the rest of my family have had a very large amount of experience with. My father, Caitlin's grandfather, died when he was 39 years old of esophageal cancer. My stepfather, her step-grandfather, who she had known all of her life, also died of cancer. He had it three times. We lost two uncles, two cousins, a best friend, all to cancer. Caitlin lost one of her best and closest friends to cancer. It was something that they hid from the world, as well as from Ryan's closest friends. You might remember Ryan from winning the Doritos Super Bowl commercial with the $1 million prize. His commercial was seen worldwide and still runs today. It features his son, through a sneaky manipulation of a neighbor, securing a bag of Doritos in exchange for allegedly traveling to the future. So, Caitlin, you've lost people within your life, the last person at the time of this interview being Ryan, which was relatively a short time ago. Please share with our listeners your feelings and experiences with loss, as well as how you uniquely managed and worked through that grief. I've actually lost a lot of people that were very young that shouldn't have died so soon and so suddenly, but like people I grew up with, people from Colorado, people from Phoenix that just died tragically and suddenly, but... um I wasn't affected by them for some reason. You're definitely not new to losing someone close to you or someone that you love. You've lost several grandparents. You've lost several cousins. You've lost uh, very close extended family members of ours throughout the household. So you're definitely not 
new to losing somebody, but this one was different. Well, I've had like people I grew up with though, too, that were, you know, in their teens. I didn't know them very well, but people from Colorado, this one guy was struck by lightning and died and it was very weird. And then another one, um, he apparently had gone missing for a while and then they found him uh, a few years ago and it was just a weird, weird, crazy, tragic situation. And it's just weird, but, and it affected me, but not, not the same way as Ryan did. And I mean, Amy, I had um, the Amy Bennett, that was very sudden too. And I'm sorry, I forgot about Amy. She was killed in a traffic accident a few years ago. I remember that now. You guys were in dance or drama or theater or something, weren't you? Oh, we did theater together. Um, Yeah. So that was just a weird situation, too. I should have remembered better. I'm your dad. That's okay. It wasn't part of your life. (laughs) We And Amy and I never really got along very well. So that was part of it, too, is that I think that I was with these people in passing, just more ships passing in the night versus actual friends. So Ryan, I've known Ryan as long as I've known Cord, who is my now husband. I've Well, not as long. I've known him for, I've known Cord for 11 years and I knew Ryan for like nine years. So almost as long and um, started just as colleagues. And I was invited to Um, work with him on a spec commercial for something. I don't even remember what, but he was filmmaker and a writer, director, auteur. And in uh, the Phoenix area, it was really rare to find somebody who actually had talent, (laughs) who could do the things he said he was going to do. And he was just good at everything he did. So you had developed a personal as well as a working relationship yeah, so I had done a few spec commercials with him that he that never got entered into that type of contest. But it it when he did that one, when he did the Doritos commercial, um, he had sent me three or four or five different versions of it. it. Was like, which one? Which one is it? Which one is it? And we, I helped him narrow down to the one that won. And he he even said he said I already knew it was this one. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> So I helped him pick that. And um, yeah, he won it. He won the Doritos commercial, won a million dollars. But yeah, from the first time I worked with him, I knew he was uh, just better than this world and better than Phoenix. He didn't deserve to be kind of stuck there, but he liked it. He he really liked it. So he got, then he what? eventually got, he got sick. So we, I worked with him so much that, uh, he called me his onset wife and I was his onset husband. And then when Cord started working with him too, he called Cord his onset husband, which was funny. Um, so we all got really close and we, um, he ended up actually photographing our wedding too, as a favor after he had already won the Doritos commercial. So that was just, you know, you don't do that. You don't win a million dollars and then go back to wedding photography, but he did cause he was awesome. So as long as I've known him, he's always been the skinny, like super skinny guy with a weird cough. And he just ha- always had a weird, I thought it was like a tick or something where he would always kind of clear his throat funny and um, never thought anything of it. He was always really healthy. He was a, he became vegan like not too long before 
he was diagnosed with cancer, but he was vegan. He was, he would exercise. He was just, he was constantly working and out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere. Uh, in November of 2016, I think he was diagnosed with like stage four lung cancer, never smoked ever. So that's just very weird. And how did you hear about it? I was at, I was actually at work. I was at, I was working at the Grove as a Santa helper. (laughs) So I had to be cheerful. And my sister texted me and said, I'm so sorry to hear about Ryan. So I hadn't heard anything. So of course I had, I, my, you know, my stomach dropped and I didn't know what was going on. So checked Facebook and he kind of just announced it there and said that it had basically spread to his spine, to his brain, to everywhere. And I think it's just because he didn't know. And so when he, when it, when he found out, it was just far too late, but he was still so positive and still, um, I think he really thought he was going to beat it. And by January, he was already gone and he was only 31 with the, uh, a single dad. And it's just kind of sucks. Well, obviously, it still affects you tremendously, and rightfully so. I'm sorry that you're going through that. You've gone through it so many times in your young life. I know that you're going to share with us later in this program how you uniquely managed your grief and your anger and your depression in regard to losing Ryan. Sometimes people forget that we're all human beings, and we do have to go through the five stages of grief before we can heal. The best way to do that is recognizing the need for allowing yourself to grieve with the understanding that there are positive methods for doing so, including some alternative methods, which we will talk about and later provide links in the show notes for. Okay, funny story. So when we were living in LA, when we found out this happened, um, it it um, just derailed us completely. And Cord... Um, is a writer and he actually wrote a scene about um, like an accident happens and um, a person gets in the back of an ambulance and realizes that, I mean, it's kind of on the same, along the same lines as the podcast here, but that life's too short and you have to experience everything that you can before you get loaded into the back of an ambulance because everybody eventually probably will be at some point. And so he, we heard sirens all the time after that because Ryan read the scene and loved the scene, loved it, and said the court has to make the scene. It says such a good message. So every time he heard a siren from then on, he was thinking, okay, that's Ryan saying I'm on, I'm on the right track. And just now a siren went by. So I think you'll agree with me that's Ryan telling you that you're on the right track. It also touches a little bit on is there life after death, which we'll talk about later. So once Ryan knew about this and was diagnosed properly with this, the disease actually took a very fast track, correct? Yeah, it was extremely fast. Um, I only got to talk to him a couple times between when he was diagnosed and when he was gone. He was diagnosed in November and then gone in January. Did you have an opportunity to tell him what you wanted to say before he passed or was passing kind of expected but unexpected? It was definitely more, it was unsurprising given the circumstances, but also knowing, knowing Ryan and knowing how um, positive and upbeat and 
everything and in control he felt that he was, we all thought that he might actually beat it because stranger things have happened. So the things that I got to tell him was basically how strong he is and um, that he has all the support in the world and that we can be out there in a heartbeat if he needs us, anything like that. Um, and it was more about encouraging encouragement for the circumstance rather than the reality of being able to thank him or um, anything like that. So it was more about hope. It was more about giving him hope, I think, than than being able to say thank you for everything you've done. Because I don't think we we didn't think he was actually going to go. Unfortunately, in too many cases, we never think that they're going to go, especially when it's somebody that's so young. You had seen Ryan in an interview and it kind of shocked you, didn't it? So if I had seen the news interview when he was alive, it would have probably been less of a shock for him for when it happened because he really was bad off. But I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't understand that or acknowledge it because um, he was always he would always achieve anything he said he would. He said he would win the million dollars and he did. He said he would make his own movie and he did. You know, he everything that he said he would do, he did. So when he said, I'm going to beat this, it's like, OK, yeah, he will. And then but if I had seen that news interview, if I had seen how he actually was, it wouldn't have been so much of a shock. So when you found out that he passed, whether somebody told you or however you found out, what emotions did you feel? How did you feel deep inside? Were you devastated? Were you expectant? Well, the day we found out was actually one of the best days we've had in L.A., probably the only good day we had. Um, We had just gotten back from the Kodak Theater where we did like a paid audience type of thing, but we had to get dressed up. So we got all dressed up like we were going to the Oscars. They sat us the front row. We had we got to watch a performance and it was just really fun. And we felt super encouraged and super inspired. And we were just on like the top of the world. And then we got home. We were watching something on TV and I was just scrolling Facebook. And then I saw that one of his other really good friends basically had announced it. And um, he had actually died a week before this announcement. So it was almost like instant closure because it's like, okay, well, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. It's already been done. It's been done for a week and they didn't tell anybody. So Ryan's family for almost a week didn't tell anybody that he had passed away, including close friends. Right. How do you feel about that? I actually liked it because it gave them their time to grieve and their time for closure before having other people also do it. Because it's always hard when you have a ton of people reaching out all at the same time just to kind of, you know, go through the process at the same time. Whereas if they had their own private time to figure it out and to... Process have their own, yeah, to process it, to have their own closure. I think that was extremely important for his family. Um, so I appreciate the fact that they let themselves have their own 
private time before telling everybody else. Sometimes that's important for the family to get closure. And yeah, and it was like instant closure for me in a, in a way. I mean, it was not, it didn't become that way, but it was like, oh, well, that was, it was like, he's just, he's, he's gone and he's been gone. So it is what it is. But yeah, it, it did feel derailing for sure. It, so that whole good mood we were in, like, never came back. Just let's go back in time just for a few minutes and talk about something else. Because I think uh, when you were talking about time for closure and time for the family to really get closure and kind of mourn and do their thing. Um, do you remember when you were over at uh, your grandmother and grandfather's when your uh, grandfather Burl passed? Yeah. Yeah, that was your first introduction to something like that process. Your mother and I talked about it, and we had difference of opinion as to whether or not um, it was appropriate to have you and your sister there to kind of understand the process of death and and what it meant, what it is, and that it's part of life. Um, Obviously, as you know, my career was a law enforcement officer, so I had already seen a lot of death in my career, so it was a different approach to me. So in looking back at that, do you feel that that helped you to understand the process a little bit better? Or how did you feel about that? Or do you think that's a positive thing to allow the family or the kids to understand the process? Yeah, I think it's it was extremely important. Um, I know it affected Nikki in a different way, um, but she was also younger. So for me, it was a defining moment in my life where it helped me to understand that death isn't about the person it's about the other people that that person dying they just don't exist anymore and they're at peace and they don't have to suffer or struggle or anything but it's that the other people do and i think if more if more people understood that you know it would be it would help people i think who are considering doing something obviously this is a cancer but if people are considering ending their own lives, they can understand that it does affect other people so tremendously that it might help them not do that. And it might help them con- you know, continue on. And I don't know. I think that it was a very defining moment for me because I've never, obviously I've never considered that myself. So when I say that, it's not that I ever considered it. And because I witnessed that, it helped me not do that. That's not what I'm saying. And I absolutely know that. Unfortunately, there are at least two people in your life that, um, in our family's life, I should say, that you are aware of that actually ended up taking their own lives due to PTSD. Both of them were colleagues of mine. One of them was a law enforcement officer that I actually helped get into law enforcement. I helped to start his career. That was John. You know him as Uncle John as well. He had known you since basically all of your life. He was your godfather, as you know. And Tim who was a paramedic firefighter who also uh, ended up taking his life uh, under PTSD circumstances. It's unfortunate that we we were unable to help either one of them reach a point Mm -hmm. where they didn't have to take that route. So I don't think if they realized, I mean, obviously John witnessed a lot of death too, but he may not have, if he, if because of what I, because of watching Grandpa Burl die, um, at the age that I did, I think it helped me realize all of the effects that it has on other people. 
but you know. You were 11 years old and your sister was nine, but we chose to communicate with you to help. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because with Ryan, he was a very bad communicator. He would not text you back for weeks at a time because he was just busy. He was always working and he hated social media. He was never on social media. So anytime you were trying to talk to him, it would take a while to get a response. But now I get almost instant responses. I mean, I don't know if the, I don't know if the siren picked up on the microphone, but and it happens all the time. And I see more signs and I talk to him more and he actually gets to talk back now more than more than it was before. So there's obviously, you know, positives can come out of it. Um, well, and as we know, growing up with um, with uh, individuals within our lives that have in the family's lives that have um, devastating diseases um, and watching somebody suffer and what they go through uh, in regard to those diseases or ailments, uh, it's difficult to, I will say, comprehend what they go through because we can we can understand what they go through. We may not be able to to empathize with what they're going through because we have it knock on wood done it ourselves. But it is a relief when they pass on because they're not like you said earlier. They're no longer in pain and they're no longer suffering. And because people with chronic pain, I can say from firsthand experience, you know, you don't always express it on the outside, but people can see it. You can be, you can be suffering inside and you put on the best smile that you can, but still can be seen from the outside because of what's going on. So, well, that's what I wonder if I had seen him in that, in, in that news interview, if I had actually seen how bad off he was, I don't think it would have been as surprising. Um, But the other thing is, you know, he was always very, very thin and he had that weird cough. So I wonder if he had it for a lot longer than he knew. Because, you know, if a doctor tells you you have, you know, three months to live, well, the doctor went to school and the doctor knows what they're talking about. So they must be right. And if if he had it for years before that and didn't even know and then all of a sudden a doctor says you have three months to live and three months later you're gone. You know, then you're, the mind is so powerful that it's going to attach to things. And that's what I don't, I don't quite understand because I know, I know I didn't get to talk to him. I didn't get to say, what did the doctor say to you? Um, but I would not be surprised if that is what, happened because he's always had that weird cough. He never smoked, but you don't have to have, you don't have to smoke to have lung cancer. You know, it's weird. It's rare, but it happens. So he may have had it for a long time and just didn't know about it. And that's why when he did find out it was so bad. Well, and that, that's what, unfortunately, cancer is a silent killer because it, it will, can be devastating up until somebody finally goes to the doctor. And I don't know how Ryan is, but if he's anything like your dad is, I hate going to yeah. doctors. And um, I really don't go as often as I really should go to doctors. And I don't always agree with what the doctors right. say. Um, as you know, I was diagnosed by five doctors to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And I made a decisive choice not to be there and not to do that. So, but... It's a different type of disease yeah. is what I have. But cancer, cancer is a silent killer. A lot of people don't know they have it until it's too late. And unfortunately, it has eaten away so much of the body that 
it doesn't have the opportunity to recover. Your Aunt Mary was lucky in the fact that she caught it early and she found the signs that she needed to go in and have something looked at. And once it was looked at and diagnosed, they took a very proactive approach with a positive result and they did it twice. Um, but Mary had the opportunity to to do that. Not everybody does that. So, you know, for anybody out there listening, if you've got any type of a little nagging cough or any type of thing that your body's telling you isn't quite normal, you probably should go have it checked it out, no matter how much you don't like doctors. It's better to know so you can do something about it. Even if you don't agree with what the doctor wants you to do, you can at least know what's up and you can take an, a proactive approach to fixing it. Yeah, you can you don't you can't fight what you can't see. Exactly. So yeah, but the um the grieving process with Ryan was very different than anything I've ever experienced. Um I was definitely more of the shock for like months at a time. The first like three months was more just numb and then it became like angry and sad and all those the stages of grief. But I didn't realize or process that it was the stages of grief. I thought that it was the city of LA. I thought it was the entertainment industry. I thought it was, which did not help. <laughs> all of those things definitely were problems in their own. But I didn't process it as the stages of grief. So I actually went to therapy who... I don't know if this guy just was not for me, but he was not. He didn't listen to anything I said. So he didn't even tell me what was what it, what it probably was. Um, but I actually got, I got antidepression medication. I took um, just like one or I think it was just one type of medication because I was so depressed and I was just in a bad place. And uh, Cord also did the same. He went to therapy, he got medicated and his therapist is the one that pointed out that it might be grieving. And that's when we both went, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And so as soon as I realized that it was just the stages of grief and that there's no timeline for those, you don't, it doesn't matter if it's a month or a year, you can grieve as long as you need to. And it doesn't matter how strong you think you are. You're going to go through the stages of grief. It's just what it is for everyone else that, that, that I've experienced with dying. My stages of grief for them were just a lot faster this one was just different. And so everybody grieves differently for different people. So once I figured out that it was the stages of grief, I was able to get off the medication and, you know, use meditation and um, therapy and a lot of other um, more natural means of processing. And I was able to move past that in a more positive way. Well, and that's what a lot of people, you guys need to listen to the fact that they're there's five stages of grief, and like you said yourself, those stages can last a very short period of time, or they can last for a year or two. But the positive aspect of it is you have to be aware of what you're going through before you can understand it and work through it. The problem arises when you don't understand what's happening, what stage of grief you're in, and how to deal with it in a positive way like you did, such as meditation and some of the other alternative medicine uh, type approaches that you took 
which I felt uh, are very positive, which again, in another episode, we're going to talk about alternative medicines, including meditation and the benefit of meditations and herbal reliefs and so forth. What do you think the difference between this grieving is and grieving for somebody like your grandfather, Burl? Why, like, I guess I should reapproach that question as to why do you think that your grieving process with Grandpa Burl was quicker than it was with Ryan? Well, with Grandpa Burl, it was that I witnessed, I witnessed him dying. I actually watched it happen. So I got the closure of, and I also knew he was sick for a long time. He'd been sick three times and you know, all three times it was kind of a prep of, well, he may not make it. So just be ready. And so it was just a, you know, years long process of being ready. And with Ryan, it was just so sudden because I didn't realize how bad it was because I didn't see, he never posted any pictures, you know, and I didn't see the news interview. So I didn't see how bad he was. And, and it was because it was, we didn't find out until after a week, you know, that, that it was like, Oh, it had already happened a while ago. That <laughs> um, it was just, it was just different. He was very, very young, and you know, he's a single dad. It's like it's more of grieving for his kid. I feel like because now he has to go grow up without a dad. And I understand that, um, like many other individuals out there can understand. That brings up another question: How do you compare that to your grandfather David when we brought him down here? From Colorado, um, he originally had been diagnosed with Parkinson's, and when we got him into the Biro Neurological Center, it turns out he had Lewy body dementia, which is a fast-moving disease in itself, and in some cases can be a slow-moving disease. So during that time period when we brought him down here, we had him here. You guys were living in uh, Vegas, and then I had you moved to L.A.? Yeah. When he was here. Mm-hmm. So you still had an opportunity to come at least say what you wanted to say before he left this world, but you had a better understanding of the process and what he had gone through as well. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, with him, we got to, we, we were able to see the um, degeneration and it, it wasn't as fast as it probably could have been. Because for some people, I'm sure it goes faster, but, you know, he, he really went downhill, you know, over time, but it was a process. And so we actually got to witness it and we saw, you know, we saw him basically be ready. (laughs) He was ready to go and he got to say everything he wanted to say, you know, before he couldn't talk anymore. You know, you guys called me that one day that was, and he got to say everything and I got to say everything. And he still took a while after that, but he didn't talk very much after that. So he was able to say everything he wanted to say. And I was too. So, you know, and seeing just like witnessing the, uh, just the process of that, of that disease, I think created that closure too, because it's like, you know, he wasn't gonna, he wasn't, that's no life to live. And you knew the final outcome, you knew what the expectation was, what was going to happen. And it had taken a longer time. It wasn't a, okay, we've got a diagnosis now and three months down the road. Although David was given a diagnosis of within about six months from the time he was diagnosed here. Yeah. And unfortunately that, unfortunately that timeline pretty much fit. Um, But with that disease, 
it it is it's the long goodbye because they um basically start losing their identity and the, everybody knowing everybody around them slowly and closer to the end they've pretty much lost their identity they don't know who they are a lot of the times luckily david right before he passed on had full cognitive ability and was able to kind of i guess say goodbye say like you said say what he wanted to say to everybody and well and the difference with that too is that you can't fight that disease you know you can't fight it and cancer it's almost like well you can fight it there's a chance and so that's the difference there is that you know you can't fight that you know you can't fight the Lewy body dementia it's not a fightable it's not a winnable thing but some people beat cancer some people beat stage four cancer so it's one of those things where it's like, well, it could be okay. But There's always hope. Yeah. Going back to the alternative medicine approach, the holistic approach with the meditation and some of those other therapies that you had tried, tell me a little bit about that and how they helped you in a positive way. Uh, meditation is obviously positive in every way, but guided meditation helps you work through the feelings and the... Um, the processes that you don't understand with somebody else helping you through it. So instead of, instead of typical meditation where you're just sitting there trying to quiet your mind, you actually have somebody guiding you through the process. So it's a lot more helpful if you don't have to think about the things you're going through. So with the guided meditation, you can pick any topic that you want and it's probably on YouTube <laughs> with the guided meditation of some kind. So, you know, you can do it for grief and loss. You can do it for anger. You can do it for sadness. You can do it for whatever you're feeling in that moment. And in that moment, you can have somebody guide you through it and help you through it. And you understand this from a couple of different perspectives. Number one, you experience it. Uh, number two, there's members of your family that practice it. And number three, you are a certified hypnotherapist. Are you not? Yeah, I am. I don't really practice it anymore, but I do still obviously understand all of the um, the workings of the subconscious mind and how important and and um, powerful it really is. And that's probably the most powerful thing that somebody can do to process grief is to do hypnotherapy or guided meditation, which is basically the same thing. What other methodologies through holistic or natural approaches had you taken in order to help you overcome other than meditation? Uh, I mean, traditional therapy also helps um, because you can have somebody in person talking to you, helping you through it. And they have, they understand the process better than, you know, a lot of other people can. Um, so traditional therapy, talk therapy helped a lot. And then uh, once I found a better one than the first one. That's the other thing with therapy is that just because you don't like one person doesn't mean you won't like a different person. Always keep in mind that if you find somebody and you don't like that person, it doesn't mean you have to stay with them. That means if you don't meld with them, you don't get along with them, you can always look around from a personal perspective. Just try again. It's kind of like dating, right? You just got to find the right person. And the one one person is not going to be the same for, you know, for two people, just because one person says this person's great. They other, you may have personality conflicts or you may have, you know, maybe you don't 
you don't agree with certain things. And of course, a therapist isn't there to argue with you and they're not there to, to tell you what to do. It's that they're supposed to just help you feel better and they help you talk through things. And if you're not jiving, if it's not the right, if it's not the right person for you, then you can always try somebody else. You don't have to stick with the same person, especially if you're being super vulnerable and open with your emotions and your, your experiences, you have to find somebody that works for you, that actually, that you like, that you trust. So it's okay to go to two different people. You can go to five different therapists before you find the right one. Well, that's a key word, trust. You have to be able to trust the individual that you're working with because it's your innermost thoughts and innermost feelings that are coming out. And those are the ones that are being worked through. So if you can't trust that individual, then they should move on and find somebody new. Maybe we should develop an app for therapy tenders. Yeah. Tinder therapy. <laughs> All right. There's a, there's a few apps for, for therapy out there, actually, that are pretty cool. Um, they're, they still cost money, but they're less than, the, than traditional therapy. And you can actually talk to people on text or on FaceTime, or you can call them. So, yeah, there's some actually pretty cool ones, but. We'll save them. We'll save saying the names of them for their sponsorship. Because <laughs> they do sponsor podcasts. So. <laughs> let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope. So is there anything else that you feel that that our listeners should really understand about losing someone before um, their time, basically? And um, any recommendations for anybody out there that might uh, be experiencing what you went through? I would say just make sure that you do say everything you want to say. Even if there's hope, even if you think that they'll be okay, if they are okay, those words don't get thrown away. They'll take it with them. So, you know, if they, if somebody, you know, gets diagnosed with cancer or something that is treatable, potentially say it anyway, say it anyway, because it'll help them through it and it'll help them you know, it'll help them live. It's not like you're saying, well, you're going to die now. So here's what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> That's not what you're saying. They're going to appreciate it no matter what. Everyone loves being told that they're appreciated and loved. So no matter the circumstances, at least you get to tell them that you love them. Well, I agree with that. That's a very good way to end this particular program. So thank you very much. Caitlin, for uh, talking about some things. I know we've dredged up some emotions from your past, but I think that uh, those emotions from the past can help somebody who's going through this right now move forward. I hope so. Thanks for joining the conversation. Join us next week when we explore more in the series of That Thing About Death, and we talk to Amy Carlson, the toxin terminator, and that thing about how losing a parent at a young age affects our whole life. This is your host, Michael R. Hurst. Signing off for this week. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.